welcome to Series 6, Episode 2 of Your Hospital Ball with Jason Walker, a player whose two-year spell with the club from 2011 to 2013 was one that York City supporters remember fondly from his spectacular goals, passion and the impact he had in the 2012 Wembley double season. Signed by Gary Mills from promotion rivals Luton Town, Jason talks about his journey in football before York City as well as his career post Boudin Crescent. This episode is proudly sponsored by N&E Woodhouse, a family-run plastering business serving York and surrounding areas since 1963, covering all aspects of plastering from contemporary housing to Tudor renovations using traditional methods and materials and following York City since the early 70s. They can be found on Facebook or at woodhouseplastering.com. Woodhouseplastering.com. You enjoy these podcasts, please consider donating to justgiving.com slash York Hospital Radio. Justgiving.com slash York Hospital Radio. All donations are greatly received, no matter how big or small. But now it is time to just say please enjoy series six, episode two, Jason Walker. Okay, so, so thanks for joining us, Jason, and, and lovely to speak to you. Barrow, born and bred, long association with your hometown club, but your pro career started 250 miles north in Dundee. So t- tell us why you started your career in Scotland. To be fair, uh, I was playing just local football and I was, at, as everybody like is at that age, like, I was at Sheffield Wednesday as a kid. I was like there for three years and then I was at, I took a year out of football at like 14 just because of my knee. Then, you know, that Osgood slatter disease that people get and stuff in the knee. So I'd take a year out and I wasn't going anywhere really and I was playing for Cartmel in the 16 and we just played a friendly against Heesham and there was the Heesham manager at the time was a Dundee scout so I played against them I think we won 2-1 I scored 2 and he was just come approach me after the game say would you like to come for a trial up in Scotland and I was just like yeah okay that's fine and to be fair I should give him a mention really his name's George Norrie he's been to be fair I still speak to him now he's been absolutely brilliant for me so I owe him a lot really that's quite a big step isn't it when, when you're what 16 and, and how hard was it for you to go away from home I mean obviously you were successful with the trial but then to sort of have an apprenticeship there you must have grown up quite fast to be 16 living away from home like that yeah it's, it's funny actually when you think about it yeah it was pretty scary to be fair well I should say this because people want to hear it but it's like I'd signed my a three-year contract with Dundee before I'd even done GCSE. So it was like, shouldn't really do that in school times now. They would never do that now. But yeah, I'd signed there. I think my PE teachers at the time who I, who I still see now, I, they were the only ones that I told outside my family. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be a, like a footballer. And they were like, no, no, you've got to fall back on something. We know the thing. And I was like, no, I've signed a three-year contract. And they were like, well, I just jumped on me as well. It's absolutely brilliant. But it was scary, yeah. And just to go up there on train I was and let leave my family and stuff and just moving moved in with another family and three other boys that were that I'd like not really met before quite incredible really isn't it when you, when you think about it yeah. they had some quite quite big sort of financial struggles didn't they around the time that you were there and you ended up signing for Green at Morton in the Scottish second division and what surprised me when I was doing my research for, for this interview was that the, the crowds there I mean the average attendance I think was 2,700 both seasons that, full seasons that you were there I mean that must have been a really good experience to play in front of those crowds every week it was yeah because I didn't make 
make a first team appearance at Dundee. So I didn't really play in front of much crowds, to be fair. Yeah, I just went there. Again, that was George from the, the Dundee Scout. We went into administration at Dundee. It was one of them things. If your name got read out, you were gone. So that's what happened. That's what happens. But yeah, I went to Morton. And to be fair, I was, never knew anything about them. Went on there for trial for a week and then signing, signing, signing a one-year deal. And yeah, the crowds are, crowds are really good. They're a really good supporting club and really good player as well, yeah. Yeah, and there were a couple of good seasons as well. I think you came third and second in the two full seasons you were there. And battles with Gretna, who I, I vaguely remember at the time, were splashing the money about, weren't they, with uh, Ooh, yeah. Kenny Doucher up front. And you would have played up front with Derek Lilly as well, wouldn't you, at some point in your time at Morton? I mean, he was sort of used to play for Leeds United once upon a time, didn't he? And what was that like, playing up front with someone as experienced as him? Yeah, it was like, I think it was the second year he came in. And I was just really young. And obviously I lived football, so I knew exactly who he was. And really nice guy, actually. And you just he didn't look down on anyone getting on with his football and he's really good to learn from and he definitely was helping me and helping everybody around the club so it was really good to play with him yeah and you decided to move back towards home didn't you and you did end up signing for Barrow in, in March 2007 after a short spell with Morecambe and he's got 13 in your first full season you won promotion to the conference and 18 the year after that and that included a goal against Middlesbrough in the FA Cup third round a game that I was actually at and, and a few things I remember from that and the first one was that the whole of Barrow was there or it felt like the whole of Barrow was in that <laughs> That way yeah. end. I also remember the game being really finishing really late because I did a, a Barrow player broke the leg, didn't they? I think in yeah, the second half, and it, and it yeah. stopped for about a, a good ten minutes. I and mean, then you scored with ten minutes to go to make it two one. Middlesbrough in the Premier League at the time. I mean, what what was it like to score that end in front of? I think there was about eight thousand Barrow fans, wasn't there? There. Yeah, there was. That was at eight thousand. Yeah, they went in the coach wards. Yeah, so yeah, it was good uh, to score. And I always remember the one that I missed, obviously, like straight do with literally a minute to go as well with 2-1 and I think it was McNulty big Steve McNulty chested it down and I was on the edge of the box and I should really hit the target and it went about two yards wide and they're the ones I remember but yeah scoring against the Premier League team when he'd literally just been promoted to the conference yeah it was really good especially in front of all 8,000 of them yeah and did you have family there in, in the away end as well? <laughs> yeah all my family were there there my brothers, my mum and that, they, they come, my sister, they all come and watch every, like, came to watch every single game all the time. And, and did you follow Barrow when you were growing up then, being, being from Barrow? Never, not in a detrimental way or anything like that at all. Um, just no, not at all. I was born in Barrow. I grew up pretty much in Flukeborough, though, Green, Shorversands, Flukeborough area. But no, I'd, I'd never been to watch them, really. Um, nothing. So who, who did you follow when you were growing up? Just a Man United fan. Watched them all the time. And, like, Beckham was the one when I was a bit younger as well. Well, so he was 99 season was the one and stuff like that that I remember the most but yeah Man United was my team I didn't really follow anybody local yeah to, to be fair my school everyone supported Man United apart from me I think oh, yeah no, just got, just, York, York obviously yeah just, Are you just, just uh, York? yeah, yeah. And, and a soft spot for Middlesbrough I went to uni there and that's how I ended up watch, watching the game that you did and, and it was interesting because oh. I, I watched back the sort of highlights of that game just to check my sort of memories and you know there, there's a few things that was interesting on there's like a little bit of a day following the, the Barrow team going to the match and, and I think it's about five minutes long and it, and it was an interesting yeah. watch and, and I noticed that Gareth Southgate waited after the full-time whistle to shake your hand didn't he and he, and he had a little word with you when he came off the pitch well, can you remember what he said to you? Yeah I do actually and uh, it was quite nice he just said well done for scoring and as we walked in as well you probably didn't see that because the thing went off he said um, that I shouldn't be playing at that level which was nice thing to hear really and to be fair I've heard that quite a lot but it was nice and it was good to get the recognition off him but who did you swap shirts with? Because I noticed that you had a Middlesbrough top on when you were coming off. Who, who did you swap shirts with on the day? David Wheater. 
at the time he was like getting touted for being England's next big centre back and stuff. And I was like, oh, I'll definitely have his. And I think he got in an England squad, didn't he, once? But I don't think he, he yeah, played. Right, but, yeah. No. but yeah, it was interesting, wasn't it? Because you, you scored and Afonso Alved scored two for Middlesbrough and he he cost £15 million and <laughs> yeah. won a free from Green at Moor. And it's it's funny how things work out. And also looking back yeah. at that, and, and I didn't realise this at the time, I, I, I remember you scoring, but but yeah, two, two ex-York City links there as well. Steve McNulty, who, who still looked quite old on the <laughs> as, as he always looked old, Steve McNulty and, and Andy Bond yeah. as well, who was who was playing that day. Both both played for you. Oh, yeah, what what were they they like as teammates? Yeah, they were brilliant. Yeah, that well, that was a really good squad actually. Like really together. To be fair, I was the only what local one. Not everybody else is Liverpool, Manchester, and it it was from the day I went there, and it's it's still like that now. But they were good guys, yeah, and I still speak to Bondi every now and again. I don't really speak to Mako. Uh, I played against him a lot of times, but yes, if a on this Instagram stuff if you see something and then he messages me on there and I message him as well so yeah good guys and it was a good season away from just the FA Cup goal as well I think you got a 25 yard strike against Old Trinum a 50 yard lob against Forest Green so you're really starting to build that reputation as a how do you know about that I've looked for that goal everywhere and I can't find it I I haven't seen the goal but I've I've just I've just managed to find articles about it and stuff like that yeah Mm. 2009-10 you know another advancement for yourself 22 goals this time including a a stunner at Wembley in the FA Trophy final against Stevenage who were the holders because they'd beaten York the year before such terrific great technique for you to let it roll across you and, and strike it did you just know as soon as you'd hit it it'd gone in I mean it was a, a tremendous strike to be honest like a lot of people got it oh yeah I knew it was going in I didn't actually I thought it was going to smack the post if you look on the like the slow-mo the last one I literally like peel around the defender as if to say please don't hit the post and I just seen it go in I was like, oh. didn't really know what to do to be fair but then just ran to the corner where all my family were and because I didn't really have the best of games and we didn't we didn't have that, that much attacking really. Phoenix weren't great either in the game. It was just one of them games. And I just remember my brothers, like before the game, said to me, he was like, do something that makes a difference. It helped. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was, it was yeah. an incredible strike, like I say. Uh, I mean, it must have been a boyhood dream of yours to, to score the winner at Wembley. I mean, it must be every every schoolboy's dream to do that. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And for Barrow, for the hometown club, yeah, it was, it was really good, especially when they followed you to Middlesbrough, they followed you to Sunderland the year after. And then, obviously, Wembley, they took a, a lot of fans there as well, so... It was a reward for them as well, really. All my family as well for following me everywhere as well, which was nice. Another strong strong start to the following season meant that you were kind of becoming one of the most sought-after strikers in the non-league. And, and Luton won the race for your signature in, in January. But I believe York were, were interested too. Did you ever speak to York or was it was it always that you were going to go to Luton? No, I'd spoke to York. The year before, I was meant to go, I went on trial the night at Doncaster. I was meant to go there, but Barrow didn't accept a couple of bids for me, which was a bit disappointing, really, after everything I'd done as well. But York were interested then as well. And then that following year, when I started that season, I think it was 11 goals in 18 games I'd started with. And it was like a bidding thing between Luton, York and Fleetwood. So I'd spoke to Fleetwood, spoke to York. And then Luton just come in and I think they blew them out of the water, really. Well, it was 50 grand, other things as well, I think. So Fleetwood and York didn't want to pay it. And, and did you see Luton as your, your sort of best chance at that stage in your career as being able to play in the Football League? I, I really did. They're a massive club and they should never have been in the conference ever. So it was. And I knew they'd be challenging at the top of the table and stuff. So that was the main reason I went to Luton, yeah. And Luton fans might not look back on you on your time <laughs> of them too fondly. But you did score in the playoff semi-final against Wrexham, didn't you? And, and literally you were one inch 
away from being the hero, weren't you? As your last minute <laughs> yeah. header came back yeah. off the post. I've watched it knowing what, what happens and I still think it's going in when I watch it. And you were sort of halfway off to celebrating as well, weren't you, when, oh. when, when you'd done the header? I mean, it, it was such fine margins, wasn't it? It, it was. Yeah, they, they won't look at me fondly in Luton, but like you said, I still gave my all for them. And they say it's a chip down the middle. It wasn't. I kind of did the same in against Wrexham in the semi-final. I just went down the middle. Yeah, it was a little bit slower and probably should have hit it a little bit harder. But it was one of them things. But yeah, I could have been a hero taking him to lead two, but I was the villain and getting death threats instead. <laughs> was that was it that serious that summer? Yeah, like crazy, yeah. Like death threats and threatening my family, threatening my mom, threatening everyone, yeah. So I spoke to the manager and just said, listen, I can't stay there really with all this happening. He was like, yeah, that's fine. If, if you want to speak to your hockey can. But then I think he came out in the paper and said something like that. I'd left a voicemail or uh, and that was it. I, he didn't hear from me, but I did actually speak to him. So it was just one of them things and all blown over now and they're in the championship and doing well. So With the penalty, just, just going back to that slightly, yeah. and did the sort of header that came back off the post, did that play on your mind? Did you take it, or is it just literally a lottery in a penalty shootout and, and you went one way and the keeper guessed it? But no, the header didn't play in my mind at all. Like you said before, like before, I actually thought the header was in. I got up to celebrate, turned around and they were playing on. I had to ask... I think his name was Jamie Stewart at the time, the Wimbledon defender. I was like, what happened? And he was like, it just hit the inside of the post and came back into Seb's hand. And I was like, you're joking? He's like, no. I was like, oh my God, I thought I'd scored. <laughs> and I was like, oh no. But yeah, no, I didn't play in the mind in the penalty shootout. And I was actually meant to be first in the penalty shootout. We decided I was meant to be first, but then we ended up putting me third, I think it was. I think that might have messed, I think that messed with my head a little bit because I was a penalty taker. I was meant to go first. But no, it's one of them things. If the keeper had died the other way, it wouldn't have been any different. Yeah, and you weren't the only one who missed in the, in the shootout either, were you? No, nah, my, my friend Alex was. <laughs> we shared a room together the night before and we were both looking at each other just to say, oh no, we both missed and we're in the season. And, and when York bid 60,000 for you and you start talking to York, how, how did Gary Mills sell sell the club to you? Without sounding disrespectful to York, not, not that I would ever be disrespectful to York, not like that at all. Didn't know much about York. Obviously, coming from a massive club as well, like Luton, I'd never been to York, not not seen them. And I just thought, I'll go and speak to Gary Mills, see what he says. And here's the one reason I signed, really. The minute I spoke to him, I left the first meeting. I had two meetings. I, had, um, I think it was a Monday. I went down on a Monday and travelled down. And it was funny, actually, because the chairman, you know, he's overly passionate about things, isn't he? I've, I've heard Gary Mills on his podcast speaking, saying he gives him a kiss and all this. I'd ne- obviously never met him. Pulled up in the car park, walked in the boardroom. And he literally just came and gave me a massive hug, kissed me on the cheek and was like, oh, I'm so glad you're here. And I was like, hey, are you okay? <laughs> and I was like, all right. And then like, after speaking to everybody around with my, my agents and stuff and Gary Mills and, and the chairman, like, I knew then that I wanted to come back and have like, another talk with them. I wasn't going to sign there and then. I wanted to hear what he had to say first and stuff. But the chairman, I thought I was going to sign and he was just devastated. He literally nearly cried and I was like, I'm not saying it's a no, I've just got to go away and think about it with all my family and stuff like that. And then, But to be fair, that was the Monday. I think I rang Gary Mills back on the Tuesday and arranged a meeting for the Thursday and he was the one reason I signed really. He was sold it to me. The minute I spoke to him, I don't know why, I just wanted to play for him. And, and were there any um, other clubs back, did Fleetwood come back in for you, for example? There was a little bit of talk of 
with Fleetwood Chesterfield as well but oh, nothing really yeah I could put the bid in and yeah I really liked it when the, from the minute from the minute I set foot in the place I think the fans did from the minute that you, you played against Ebbsfleet I mean mm-hmm. as, as debuts go I mean it's a great way to introduce yourself to the fans isn't it two goals <laughs> in the last 10 minutes penalty and a header and I was going to ask you was there any doubts about taking a penalty because it was very similar to the Luton one that, that you'd missed in the shootout no doubt a striker I, I want to take penalties even if I miss I'll take the next one but I think in pre-season I'd still, I think we played a pre-season friendly against Tadcaster and I think it was Reedy was like no I'm the penalty taker and I was like oh, just let me take this one it's fine like, and he was like oh right, okay I managed to worm my way in a little bit that way taking penalties so I was a bit lucky that way but no as soon as we got the penalty I'd I think everybody knew that I would take it, not bragging or anything like that. I just think everybody knew that I was going to take it. And yeah, like you say, with the header, it was just a good way to introduce yourself, repay Millsy's money and the chairman's money and their faith in me. And that's probably why I started the season so well. I just hit the ground running and I didn't stop for a good while. Talked about the fee there and, and, and £60,000, which is, I think, fifteen grand more than, than Luton paid for you. Did you ever feel any pressure? Because Premier League terms, sixty grand is not a lot of money, but in non-league, that is quite a big fee, isn't it? Did you ever feel like, oh, I've, I've got to make sure I'm scoring here? And did you ever feel any pre- added pressure? A little bit when they paid it, yeah. And then when you're coming into the club and pre-season and stuff. But, well, you'll know Gary Mills very well, probably. Speaking to him and the way he made me feel, he made me feel like I was worth 60 million, not 60 grand. So I wanted to go on that field and repay him. The minute I spoke to him when I went into the boardroom, that's how he made me feel. And I just wanted to play for him. And I went on that pitch thinking, I'm better than everybody else. And that wasn't my own ego. That was just the way Gary Mills made me feel. And it should. When I spoke to him, he was like, I hated playing as a lone striker when I was younger and up to 25, 26. I, I didn't like it. I loved having a strike partner. And when I spoke to him, he was like, you're going to play as my main striker. We're going to play as a three. You're playing up front on your own. And I was like, oh, and he's, trust me. That was it. He's like, you're going to be my main man, main striker right there and I'll have people everywhere around you and that's why how he made me feel I just absolutely loved it I remember when I spoke to Gary on the podcast he, he was sort of saying that that Ebbsfleet game for him was quite significant he felt even as, as early as that in the season on the first game but coming back to win that made him feel like the, the, the team were good enough for promotion did, did you feel like that as players? Yeah 100% yeah we knew we were a good footballing team we trained with each other day in day out we knew how good we were but going 1-0 down in last 15 minutes and coming back to win 2-1 it showed that we were all in it together we knew what we were setting out to do that season and that like Gary Mills said that was literally you could tell there from there and then and I think that is the reason we went on that really good run we actually lost a few games in that run which I didn't realise but we didn't care either because we knew the next game we would be even better and... For you personally I mean you scored on your home debut ironically against Barrow and you bagged 15 <laughs> goals before November I mean all different types of goals as well I mean the, the one um, that nearly got stuck in the stanchion against Darlington your poachers <laughs> finish at Stockport away your curling free kick against Cambridge I mean there's so, so many of them but, but of course everyone remembers the overhead kick versus Grimsby and I, <laughs> I just wanted to wonder whether you could sum it up in your own words now looking back on that what, what do you remember about the build up to the goal and and uh, and everything around it every single bit of it it's funny actually because I've been playing football today with, with my little boy he was like oh can we practice bicies and I was like yeah and he was asking me what I thought about it he like what did I think like did you think it was going to hurt when you were thinking I was like yeah probably but I didn't care in the end because it went in but no everybody remembers that goal and I'll remember that forever and I'll, I still show the kids at school that, that goal and I will in 20 years time because they don't come around very often and it wasn't just my finish at the end. It was literally everything about goal. And I think it summed us up as a team, to be fair. 
Was it just instinctive when that, well, I think it's Paddy, isn't it, who heads it back across? Are you not even thinking about it, just doing it in it one single motion? Or was it just a, a matter of, I'm just going to try this because of that, almost that confidence that Gary gave you and the team? I think that's what it was, yeah. If you look on the, I always watch a video and think, oh, why did I even like pull out that way a little bit? If I was a striker, I should really be going in towards a goal in case Paddy had like headed it towards goal or anything like that. But I don't know, I just must have been, like you say, a bit of confidence, a bit of instinct that you get with goals and stuff and kind of knew where it was going to come off Paddy's head or the defender's head that was being it. And yeah, you just see it there and it is instinct. You don't practice them and you just luckily, hopefully you connect with it well. And I did. And the best bit about it was the Grimsby fans clapping because it just happened. <laughs> well, do you know what? That, that's interesting, sir, because I've got that written down here that, that yeah. I, I always thought at the time that the only thing that would have made it better would have been in front of a David Longer stand and the York fans erupting. But actual facts, I think now watching it back, I do think that is one of the biggest... <laughs> Sort of compliments about the goal is is the fact that you can visibly see a number of away fans clapping it and, and I think that sort of almost makes it more special that they're just appreciating good football and, and a good finish I, I do agree with you I think it would have been better in front of the York fans because that would have been thing because you'd look back on that and think look at them all but yeah it's still like a you still see them clapping and think yeah they must appreciate what must appreciate the goal and must appreciate what, what we are as a team yeah I remember around that time there was so much hype around the goal wasn't there so many YouTube hits and, and it's funny you can see it now on YouTube that someone's put the Titanic music alongside it and stuff like that it's, there was lots of rumours around that time that Chef Wednesday and, and Nottingham Forest and Norwich were looking at you was, was there any truth in those rumours around that time? Yeah there was the Sheffield Wednesday one was the main one the Nottingham Forest one I think that was through Gary Mills I think he was getting linked with Nottingham Forest at one point as well and we, we both were at the time as well and I was in his office every day and he was like wherever I go I'm going to take you with me wherever so don't go anywhere and I was like okay but yeah the Norwich I heard about that as well I've never spoken to Norwich but Sheffield Wednesday was the one yeah it's not tough to take now because obviously I look back and think I've done quite well part of me does think should I have been a bit more stubborn I see it with players and they were in League One at the time and did he get promoted that summer as well I would have been in the championship for no less than two years I got offered a contract by them I spoke to Gary Megson who was the manager at the time numerous times and they did they put in a few bids and then I had a release clause in my contract that, that they met but the, the release clause didn't kick in till the next season so I couldn't I couldn't go there but yeah the the money that they were offering would have been nice yeah financially uh, I mean it's a short career isn't it I mean you know obviously we're, is, yeah. we're happy that you ended up staying at York City for the success that you brought us but, but yeah you know I think most fans would appreciate that it's particularly at the level that if you get offered a massive contract you everyone in in their right mind would take it wouldn't they so so it got to the yeah. point where bids were nearly accepted then and was yeah. this around that time then that, of the Grimsby goal is that, is, have I got the time frames right yeah I think it oh, I can't remember his name Chris oh there was like a scout that always he was ringing me and ringing my agent all the time as well he was a Sheffield Wednesday scout and he was at that game Chris Turner that was it he was at the game and he's messaging my agent saying we need him and all this. I was phone calls every day, which it was nice. Don't get me wrong. Should I have been stubborn? I don't know. I would never have done that to Gary Mills, really. But the contract offer was, yeah, very good money. I can tell you because it's it's over now. It was five grand a week in League One. And if I got promoted to the championship, it was 10 grand a week because it doubled. And they got promoted that summer. And that was with a 54 grand signing on fee, which was 18 grand every year for three years. And then you've got your bonuses on that. I think they're on 400 quid a point and stuff like that. So do I look back and think, should I have been stubborn? Possibly. But I wouldn't have done that to Gary Mills, if I'm honest. So did just peter out then that, that there was a bit of a stalemate there then? and, and... Uh, Yeah, a little bit. I got injured, didn't I? I had a little tear in my groin and... 
didn't play for a while and yeah, that was it. Didn't hear after that. You also scored against Luton in a, a remarkable game where you were three 0 up by half time. It was a real demolition job, wasn't it? And I watched that back earlier as well. And you know the crowd singing, "There's only one Jason Walker," and really trying to rub it into the Luton fans. I think did, did that yeah. sort of validate your decision to join York? Then I mean, it, it was three 0 like I say, but then you also hit hit the bar with an unbelievable shot as well from about twenty five yards in the second half. I mean, you must have gone home that night thinking, "Well, I've made the right choice here to move from Luton to York." I did actually, yeah. Um... I knew that before that though the, the football that we were playing I knew that was and the manager I was playing for I knew that was where it would have got the best out of me and it did the players that were around me were perfect for me so I kind of knew that already but yeah when you go 3-0 up against Luton you've scored and then when you hear all them fans singing your name and I just wish that one had gone in off the bar off the post and in <laughs> because I watch it all the time all the time not just the Luton game there's like an archive isn't there of three months on YouTube I've got like tabs open on my Safari and I just keep it there because I don't know sometimes you do feel down or whatever or de-stress or whatever it is and I just click that on I just click the first three months of that on I don't I don't watch the rest of the six months because I didn't really play that great but nah I did it was okay but yeah just watch it and I just look at that one and I always show, show my wife and she's like yeah I know you've shown me and I was like yeah I know but look imagine that I'd have gone in <laughs> we have to show but, it yeah. now with the Titanic music for the Grimsby goal see what she thinks about yeah I will actually that'll be brilliant <laughs> Yeah, I mean, in context of your whole career, where does that spell before November rank in sort of terms of purple patches and confidence? Is is that up there with the, your sort of peak of your powers almost in your career? Yeah, definitely, without a doubt. I just walked onto the pitch and thinking, I'm going to score, I'm going to play well, and I know my team's going to play well. So I was just like loving it, absolutely loving it. When I moved to Luton, when I was at Barrow for them first three months of the season there, when I think I had 11 and 18, that was probably the the closest I've come to it. I'm going on to this pitch thinking I'm going to score all the time. But nothing compares to them three months for me, no. And like you did mention there, you did slow down a touch after getting some injuries, but you, but you scored two in the last four four games as York secured a, a playoff spot. W- were you confident then? I mean, we talked already about, about kind of how much you felt of Gary Mills and the team, but so were you pretty confident of getting promotion? Because playoffs can often be a bit of a lottery, can't they? But were you confident in yourself and your team that, that you were going to do it? Yeah, at that time, we weren't playing the football we were at the start of the season. Obviously, we lost Spooks, who was a massive part of our game. And you ask anybody that's played with him, he's the best player I've ever played with, Books. Anybody you ask who's played with him will say Andre Bucard is the best player I've ever played with and he was the best player I've ever played with. He was ridiculous. It was a big loss for us, really. I know things happened and he wanted to go to Luton and he went and that's fine, but he was a massive loss for us. But yeah, we weren't playing that football, but we were still playing good football, but we knew that we could grind out results. Yeah, we had faith in Mills. He played pars in midfield. At the start of the season, he would have never done that. We, we knew he was playing pars in midfield field for a reason so we trusted him and we were going on that pitch no matter how quick we went one nil down after whatever it was a minute or a couple of minutes or whatever we knew that we'll always be in this game and yeah we'll we'll come out winners in the end yeah and, and I just want to flip back a little bit to the man's two Mansfield games that were so close as well in the semis because you set up the sort of decisive goal for Matty Blair in extra time with a, a great ball that you sort of stood up for him to head home it's quite ironic isn't it really because you're the striker and you're crossing it in from the left and he's kind of <laughs> someone who plays out wide and he's in the middle 
middle. Did Gary sort of encourage that to sort of interchange positions and, and people could float about? And, and you mentioned there, Dan Pazler playing in midfield as well. Was that was that part of the ethos really that it was a team game really and, and you could pop up in different places? Yeah, definitely. Like not just Blair, or Ashley Chambers like made a run in the box. They didn't get there and they were there. You'd have to fill in for them. And you do get them clubs where they, they ask you to do that. And not just me, but they ask you to do that. And not everybody does it and it doesn't really work. But we knew with the squad we had, with the team we had, we were a really good group to be fair. We were a very good group. So we knew that every single one of us was mate. Every single one of us. So we're not letting our mate down. So I'm going to fill in for him. And like you say, I ended up on the wing for, with Blairy and yeah, put it on his head and he pops up like he does everywhere. So I used to always say to him, Blair, that's where you want, that's where I want the ball in there. <laughs> that's how you cross it, Blairy. But he was amazing for us that season. And yeah, it was perfect for him and perfect for us, yeah. Although I uh, did miss a very good chance that game. <laughs> well, I was going to mention them, but... I, no, don't mention I didn't it. know you'd take it. <laughs> oh, I just, no. When I watched that back, I just saw Adriana Murke screaming at you when, when you didn't square yeah, it. When, nightmares when you about I mean, ahead of the Luton final, did, did you think the previous games did make a psychological sort of advantage to York City? The fact that we'd, we'd beat them twice in the league and, and also ground out results in the, in the trophy and, and beat them final yeah. of that. Do you, do you think that made a big difference? Probably, yeah. You don't look at it like that sometimes. But from their point of view, if we'd have been beaten three, four times by Luton, we'd have been going into that game thinking, oh, we've already been beat four times by these. We need to beat them, we need to beat them. But that different way of thinking, you shouldn't be thinking like that. We probably weren't thinking we'd beat these four times, but we were thinking, we know we can beat them. They were probably thinking, we need to beat them because we've been beat four times. So that's just one of them. I think we'd have been probably thinking that, but I think they might have, yeah. And, and what, what are your memories of those two Wembley games for you personally? Because you've been there before haven't you with Barrow but how was it different going with York City and, and, and also playing against Luton your, your former club who a year before you were having death threats I mean it must have been sweet for you to, to have that that result like it played out yeah the Newport game obviously I think we went into that game as favourites really where when I was with Barrow we were nowhere near favourites so it was a little bit different I think the pressure we put on ourselves at York we expected to win that one and we knew we would have a really good chance against Luton as well but the, they were two totally different games I think the Newport game were pretty comfortable didn't play our best to be fair against Newport we had that feeling where we'd just win every game and that wasn't that wasn't an arrogance it was we just had that feeling we were going to win every game and that's that was literally from the absolute game right the way through the season I know you go through spells where you don't win a game but we still thought we were going to win it and then the next game we still thought we were going to win that too we had that mentality in the whole squad I think that did help us in both games Did it help that you almost had a dress rehearsal by beating Newport does it help playing on the Wembley pitch and the stadium and, and that the pressures that come with that because Wembley can be a day out can't it and an occasion particularly yeah. in the FA Trophy final where where there's less riding on it than say promotion but you kind of had that the week before and a chance to soak up that sort of atmosphere yeah definitely like I've listened to obviously Mills he's the one that he sent me the podcast even I seen a few lads like wow because I remember being like that I remember being like that when I was at Barrow I went down for a, like a media day I think it was a week or two weeks before the FA Trophy final with Barrow so I'd seen the whole stadium but I still went down that weekend with Barrow thinking oh my word and I just yeah you can see that in the Newport game with all the lads pretty much because it is it's, it's it's massive it's ridiculous you've never played in a stadium like that you're gonna be like that but then that, that definitely helped for the looting game I think I think it relaxed a few of us and yeah like you say the pitch I don't know what it is but the pitch is massive it is so tiring it's massive and yeah we, we were used to it <laughs> which helped of course the celebrations back in York afterwards with the open top bus parade and the sign what what do you remember about the celebrations and uh, obviously a lot of drink was, was had by supporters and players 
because I think I think that night. But I don't even know how that sound sort of came about. I know, and it's quite iconic for York fans and everything. But what happened? What 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 were the celebrations like? The celebrations were, <laughs> yeah, they were given, aren't they? You know what a celebration is going to be like. Probably can't remember a lot of them because of Michael Lingham feeding us all drink. Really, <laughs> no, I'm joking. But I don't know how many was there in that player, but it was full, and the whole city was full. Everywhere we went on that open top bus, everywhere was full, and we had one at Barrow as well, so it was nice. But that one at York, because it was a city, we were going right around the whole thing. It was League Two. The whole thing was just unbelievable. It was so good. But yes, the sign. I think it was Paddy McLaughlin. I think he spotted it. It was obviously the, at the time when it was Tevez, wasn't it, that, that did it. Someone had put that in on, obviously, R.I.P. Luton on a, one of them cardboard. I think it was Paddy McLaughlin just like lent over, got it off somebody, and then come to the front of the bus, give it to me, got hold of it. At first, if I'm honest, I didn't actually know what it was. So I was like, held it. I was like, you give it to me. I didn't know what it was. Turned to have a look at it. By that time, it's all over social media and everything. Yeah. Was it disrespectful? Probably. But I didn't actually know what it was. I tried to apologize. Apologize. It doesn't. It didn't work like that. And they're never gonna. They're never gonna forgive me for that. But I don't want forgiveness. I just want them to know I. I didn't want to be that disrespectful because at the end of the day, they paid a lot of money for me. They sold me to a club that I absolutely loved and loved playing for. So they did a lot for me at the time. So I didn't want to be disrespectful at all. No. And you mentioned there about getting in the football league. What did that mean for you personally? Because I, I think am I right in saying that when you came back from from Green at Morton that you were after the football league club, but it didn't quite work out, and you had to almost start again with Barrow in the National League North and, and kind of work your way back up but for you personally was it was it a big thing for you to be a football league player? Yeah definitely I think everybody when they're younger they, they want to play for England you want to play in the Prem you want to play whatever uh, you want to play at Wembley which I was lucky enough to do when you set your goals out and, the, and it's different it ends up being different like it was then you do you want to be a football league player and for me if I wasn't, I think I underachieved anyway, but if I wasn't a football league player at some point, I would have definitely underachieved and really, really, really regretted that. You got the first goal for York City back in the Football League unfortunately it was when we were 3-0 down to, to Wickham on the opening day but but the team bounced back really well didn't they and uh, you were back firing you scored a lot of goals before Christmas and you scored in a 4-1 win over Bristol Rovers in December and a 3-0 home win over Burton on New Year's Day how, how did you find a step up from the, the conference? Um, the... the teams were just a little bit more professional more organised that was it really well you've seen that with conference clubs that they go up and then they go up again like your Tramiers your Akron Stanley's they're flying now others as well like your Morecambe's have gone up and they've stayed up Barrow are up there now and they'll do alright they'll, they'll do alright no it's just a little bit of professionalism and a bit more organisation really and it was just a really bad spell for us I think it was 16 games was it something like that 16, 17 games where yeah well I think it was 11 without a win after Burton that before Gary lost his job what what was the dressing room like when I say when the team kept losing but they didn't really lose I think we just drew yeah, quite a lot of games didn't we but yeah. it was a good dressing room from the year before and there wasn't a lot of change in, in this kind of squad from one year to the next so you're obviously all still quite good mates and I imagine it would have still been quite a good dressing room to be in but what, what was that like because normally teams that are struggling tend to be bad eggs or of of us kind of like disarray amongst the ranks or whatever but it sounds like you guys were pretty together yeah we were still together it was because we knew we weren't getting tanked or we weren't actually like you say we weren't really losing games we were drawing games we should have been winning and it was it wasn't so we like going into the next one thinking actually that one did alright but then it, it gets t- 
to when you're not when you haven't won a game. We'd have won a game in that spell. We'd have gone probably to win five or six in that spell, but it just didn't didn't work like that. And then the one that hurt the most was Rotherham, and it was a great performance as well. I was at that game, and and Jack O'Connell at the back was immense. It looked like I mean Rotherham didn't really create that much as well until that kind of injury time, and and it was a big blow. But did you put extra pressure on yourself being the striker to sort of think, well, if I can get the goals here again, I can get back on that form that I had before November the previous season. We, we'll be all right here. I look back at that Bradford game that Gary Mills' last game and you did have a few chances that, that maybe a year before you might have taken. I mean, there weren't guilt edge chances or anything, but you know what I, what I mean? Oh yeah, definitely. You do think like that, so you you bang on with it there. Like I always thought like that, if I can get that form back, we'll be fine. And all like I was playing bad or the team were playing bad and like you say, I wasn't missing guilt edge chances, but I just didn't want to let Gary Mills down. And I think that's a lot of us were like that. We just didn't want to let him down because we knew how we could play. We knew how we could win. And if we could just get that win, we'd be all right. But like you said, that was the kick in the teeth that just, I don't know, I think that broke us all, really. Not broke us, but that was a tough one to take. We knew that anyway. And, and that Bradford game as well, again, I've, I've managed oh, yeah. to kind of have, have a chance to look back at it again recently. And, and there were chances for York in that game. It, you know, it could have got, when it was nil-nil, I think Bradford scored on about 78 minutes or something like that. And then they got a second late on. But up until that point, it was a real game in the balance and then Gary lost his job something like half an hour I think after the game I mean it was a massive shock for supporters particularly being eight months after Wembley twice But and I presume it was the same for you as players you didn't have an inkling that that was going to happen no? No we didn't have any inkling no not that it goes through the back of your mind that oh god if we carry on how are you going to get fat you would think that yourself anyway no matter what we didn't actually think it would happen though and we, there was no inkling, there was no hint of it ever happening. Yeah, we knew we hadn't won in so many games. But if we were getting beat, if we were getting smashed, if we weren't playing well, you could understand it. But now, nah, yeah, it was a big shock. It was hard, yeah, it was tough actually, because we'd come so far together. I don't care if we finished third bottom. I don't. I wouldn't have cared. And neither would any of us, neither would the supporters. They wouldn't have cared. I just think he deserved, Gary Mills especially, he deserved a little bit more. We wouldn't have got relegated. It would never have happened. You're, you're respect for Gary is obviously massive and, and you know oh, that's come, come, yeah. come apparent so much in this interview and uh, so that must have affected you personally then when he got sacked you must you must have felt devastated then because, because of that relationship you had with him and, and, and the trust that he gave you and, and the kind of influence he'd had on your career I actually think when he come around when he got sacked we all got we all got a phone call to bring us back into the club because we we're like we're driving home and like we all come back and we all sat there and he was just like oh we set off on a journey and they've took they've taken me off it but go and finish the journey he come round and like shook all our hands and give us all a hug like like he does and it was hard yeah I think I apologised to him actually which I don't know what it was I think I apologised like shook his hand and said sorry and he was like I think he said something like you've got nothing to be sorry for and I just thought ah no but if I could have uh, reproduced that form you wouldn't have got the sack but yeah it was just a reaction that I don't know why uh, I said it and how, how did you find playing under Nigel Worthington then because he kind of in and out under him weren't you and I know you brought Richard Creswell back to the club and but you did play in, against Dagenham on the last game when we stayed up how, how did you find that that short time playing under him I don't want to be too like disrespectful because I'm not that kind of person but it wasn't for me at all to be fair I had Tom Tolitis actually when he came into a club I think I missed the first two days of his training, which didn't help me, I don't think. I mean, I come in training and stuff. We were playing like a practice match and one of the midfielders, I can't remember who it was, it was just, it was baffling. But he chested it down, hooked it over, like, so he's under pressure, so he chest, took it on his chest, hooked it over his head. And it's like, put the striker in, I can't remember who the striker was, he put a striker in and he had a shot on goal, he missed. And he's like, start playing, like, I had a go at the midfielder that had hooked it over that gives the guy a chance and just went, can you hook it further? 
and more into the corner. Some of our teammates, you know what we were like, we were footballers and we were looking at each other going, this is not going to be good. <laughs> but I don't want to be too disrespectful because I think I wasn't there long enough with him, but he wasn't, I don't think he would have been my sort of manager really and I think I was a little bit too small for him although I can jump but I think I was a bit too small for him <laughs> and, and how did you find out that you were being released did he sort of call you into his office and, and say you're not getting another contract exactly like that <laughs> just calls you into his office says we're not going to renew your contract um, thanks for everything you've done and were you expecting to be released by him yeah I did yeah and I, like I said I didn't want to be disrespectful because I'm not that I wouldn't have enjoyed it I don't think anyway so it was kind of, would I have accepted a new deal? I don't know. But I wouldn't have enjoyed my time under Nigel Worthington, I know that. Because it's interesting looking back that when you signed for York for £60,000, which, like I said before, was is quite a lot of money at non-league level, you would think you would have more than a two-year contract. That surprised me, actually, that, you know, thinking back that you were only with York two seasons. Was that always sort of on the cards to be two years? Or would you have stayed if Gary had stayed? Would it, was there a contract offer on the table if he had stayed at the club, do you think? It was a two-year contract with a year's option, but that's like you say that and, and like it's the club's option it's they just hand that to you thinking kids think oh yeah I've got another option here but it's the club's option but I think I'd have, I'd have got a new contract if Gary had stayed and I would have definitely stayed yeah I'd have loved to but it didn't work like that and that was it it's one of them things and I had the chance to play under Gary again at Gateshead and probably one of the biggest regrets of my career not going not going to Gateshead with him I think that's when you came back Sorry, with Forest before. Green wasn't it yeah. before that you, you moved to Sweden which I didn't know if that was like always an ambition for yourself to play abroad how did that move come about just through my agent and Graham Potter around my agent he's, I think he must have watched the first three months of the first season <laughs> he said oh, I really like the look of him I've studied him and stuff and I think he'll fit out well out here and I just thought I didn't enjoy my last few months under Nigel Worthington I had a couple of offers from other clubs but I just thought why not try something like that and it, it was brilliant it was good I really enjoyed it I enjoyed the football side of it. Yeah, I absolutely loved it. Because Jamie Hopcutt was there, wasn't he? He's he's a lad that I sort of worked with at my previous school and massive Man United yeah, fan as great. well, isn't he? What was he like? He was a bit unlucky at York, wasn't he? He was sort of coming through the ranks and then I think he got released when Gary came in because he needed to trim the squad down. But how did you enjoy playing with Jamie? Because he's, he's, he went on to have quite a good career with Austin's, didn't he? He had a very good career with Austin, yeah. I got on really well with him, actually. Literally, we lived in each other's pockets for a while. He had, he had a flat there and I was in mine and then, I would always hang out, hang out with him and stuff, obviously, because we had that York connection and stuff. So it was, it was really good. I think he said to me, oh, he wasn't quite strong enough either as a footballer to be at York. And that's why he thinks he got released, I think. And he was right. <laughs> and he smashed the gym and he ended up being probably, that's how it, it helped him be have a really good career at Osterson because he bulked right up and he was the main man there for a, for a, for a while. Yeah. And what was Graham Potter like to play for as well? Because he's he's obviously gone on and had a, having a really good managerial career isn't he first with Swansea and now Brighton in the Premier League what was he like as a coach unbelievable attention to detail you couldn't even dream of what he goes into it's absolutely crazy luckily I was only there for six months I only signed a six month deal because that was like the back end of the season he was getting all the lads write this like book I was like I was speaking of Hoppy going what are you on about here writing a book you lot I was like what do you mean he's like no it's his psychological thing that he's got so and I was like oh man it's too much for me but then when you know how he works oh his sessions were point on point on point his team talk to be fair he had a really good setup at Osterson the chairman was absolutely he owned most of Sweden pretty much the chairman ridiculous and he had the state of the art everything and the analysis he had the detail he went into with his 
coaches that I think he's got there. He's still there now, Bjorn, and his analysis, Kyle, I think he was from Scotland, but I would imagine he took him as well wherever he'd been. Them three, oh my gosh, worked so hard, so deserves everything he's got, actually. And I think I heard Pep Guardiola say something about him, saying that he's he admires the way Graham Potter works, and that's the biggest biggest accolade he could probably have right now, anyway. Absolutely, and and how does it work for you with your family? Because you've kind of moved about a bit in your career, on you when you get offered a six month contract in Sweden, is it kind of like, well, I'm going to go there myself, and family will have to stay behind, or do you all move together? And how how does it work? Well, I had a young boy, three at the time, so that was difficult. But if you couldn't prove that you were in the country for longer than a year you couldn't do anything you couldn't get childcare. you couldn't like rent a dvd you couldn't do anything so with him and stuff and he just had to stay over did they come over to stay for a little bit but there was nothing there for him to do or anything like that so i just said go back i'll be home soon i had regular flights home when when we had a break or when i was allowed to go but i'd been used to it you see so i'd been away that long anyway so it didn't mean make a difference really and you came back and, and you mentioned there uh, before and that, that was one of the questions that I'd, I'd noticed that Gary had tried to get you to get it said was that in between Oster Sons and, and Forest Green then was that around that time on loan didn't you and help keep them up yeah that's right dislocated my ankle in Sweden so I didn't play for a good three months that was horrible by the way just getting my ankle Oof. but he got me into Gateshead and I trained I couldn't sign for anyone until December the 31st or January the 1st sorry I had a contract up until December the 31st so I couldn't sign for anyone anyway so over Christmas and stuff he got me in for three, three and a half weeks, got me fit, played a few practice games for him, trained with the squad. Then he like offered me a contract at the end of the season. So I was like, all right, yeah, I'll think about it and let you know, sort of thing. In that time, Forrest Green come in and yeah, you know, the money they were offering and stuff, it was tough to turn down. They, they had players at Forrest Green, like Lee Hughes, around Lee Hughes, mm-hmm. but he was on £3,000 a week in the conference. The money they were throwing around was ridiculous. But yeah, it was a big regret. I should have gone back to play for Gary Mills because they got to the playoff final that year and they didn't play with like a recognised striker. I don't think. I'm sure it was. They didn't. And I watched the game thinking, oh my God, I would have helped them get promoted as well. And then I'd have probably gone on to play for Gary Mills for the next two, three years. I did apologise because I think he'd come out in the paper saying I wasn't loyal and stuff. Our players aren't loyal and I've gone somewhere else, which I don't don't blame him for because he was probably hurt and probably deserved a little bit more from me because he got me fit and everything but I did ring him up and apologise and everything's fine and I did go on loan to Southport and then score against Gateshead against him which didn't help <laughs> <laughs> like, like you say like we were talking before you know it's a short career isn't it and you kind is. of got to do what, what's right for your family haven't you then got offered a three year contract with Barrow was that an easy decision then for you to go back to sort of Holker Street and because of the success you'd had there before and three year contract at that stage of your career is, is, a, is a big deal isn't it yeah exactly yeah and like you said uh, the a little boy, little girl by then. So being back here was a no-brainer, really. I'd been away for a long time, and so being close to them and stuff and close to my brothers, my my mum, who had sacrificed a lot for me. It was nice for them to be able to watch out like pretty much week in, week out, yeah. Another successful spell with them, wasn't it? I mean, 16 goals, another promotion from National League North, 11 goals back in the National League. Then you moved on to Chorley and scored the winner in the playoff semis at, at Stockport in 2018, <laughs> which I imagine would have been in front of a big crowd again. And nearly a hat-trick of promotions with Chorley, but lost to Harrogate. You've had such a good career, haven't you, at that level? And how hard has it been to sort of adjust to coming to the end of your career? And I know you've got your own 
Sunderland Academy now, haven't you? And, and how difficult is it to adjust? Because imagine for sort of Premier League players that have made so much money and they're kind of set for life. They don't need to kind of look at employment beyond the football career, do they? But it's different for, for people at York City's level where they've got a, they've got that adulation from the crowd and everything. And that must be brilliant. But that must be hard to kind of let go as well as you get, get older and come towards the end of your career. Yeah, definitely. And even like last year, I, I still play part-time for Lancaster and stuff. And like you say, I've got a job as a PE teacher, which I... To be fair, I absolutely love the kids. Love having me there. Keeps me young as well, which is good. Because I, I was sporty, I've grown up with discipline and having sacrificed a lot to try and make it as a footballer. People don't understand what you've got to do. Yeah, some people get it handed to them, which I wish I was one of them sometimes. But you do sacrifice a lot. So you, you can drill that into the kids of like, what you can do it if you want, if you put your mind to it. So they really enjoy that side of it. I'm really passionate about that. And I am grateful for my wife for getting me into that line of work but yeah like you said it's tough didn't actually think it'd be that tough I really didn't I thought I'm ready for it I got a bit of a sore knee so I had to leave Lancaster and yeah I've not played because of my knee but it's been hard actually I didn't actually think it'd be that tough I do yeah I miss it a lot yeah like you said I've got my academy which I love as well I've got under fives, under sevens, under nines, under eleven. Got like nearly eighty kids signed on, like making up them teams, which is good. And training with them on nights of the week, which fills a gap. Not fills a gap because I don't want to be. That's not. That's not what, I, what I'm doing it for. But that competitive side of playing for three points on a Saturday is tough to replace. And just finally finish off. How do you look back on your time at York City now, then? Because such a special time for supporters. But how, how do you look at it personally? Like you say, towards the end of your career and you're moving on to other things. How, how do you look back at your, your career? in general and, and your time at York City. Funny that I had this conversation with my wife the other day and I, and I was like feeling a bit down or whatever and I was watching that thing. Career-wise, I think I underachieved. I do, being brutally honest, I think I underachieved. But I achieved a lot in my career. So I'll think of that probably in another time where I think actually no, did I underachieve because I did quite a lot. But at the minute, I do think, yeah, I could have, I should have played at a higher level and higher level for a longer time. But my time at York, I wouldn't change it for the world. Absolutely loved it. Met some great people. Like, that's throughout the whole club, like Chairman, Sophie, Lisa, Heather, they were all the, the staff. G-Bob, absolutely brilliant. Darren Kelly, Rob, the kit man. I absolutely loved them all. And obviously, Gary Mills and the players. Really enjoyable time. And yeah, the fans were even better. And I still, I don't know if you know, do you know Stu Garrington, like the bodybuilder? No. He's like a bodybuilder, massive York fan. He trained like me, Michael Ingham and Ashley Chambers in his gym. He owns a lot of gyms now. He was like world bodybuilder in 2003. And he was like coming up to me, shaking my hands like, are you really pleased to meet you? He's like six foot seven. He's like that. And I was like, I'm scared of you. <laughs> and like, I still speak to him and stuff. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I loved it. Fond memories, yeah. Well, I really enjoyed speaking to you, Jason, today. And, and uh, it'll be good to see you come down to York City's new stadium at some point. And, uh, you know, I'm sure I've reminisced with some fans over, over the memories that you gave them in your time at the club. Thank you very much. That's great. Thank you very much. Cheers. Hope you'll agree that was another uh, great episode there of York Hospital Ball. Jason Walker was great to speak to, so much enthusiasm for the game and hugely complimentary about York City Football Club. And uh, it was great to listen to his uh, clear admiration there for Gary Mills and what he did for his career. Great times. Always a pleasure to, to interview anyone who was part of that 2012 side and Jason was no exception to that. Thanks again to Mark Woodhouse for his company NE Plastering for sponsoring the episode. Check them out on Facebook. They've been active as a business since 1963, which uh, you know, shows there's a long history there for that company, York based as well. So check them out if you can. 
Just a reminder on our donation options, like these podcasts are, will always remain free. I know a few people have asked me whether we'd ever have a, like a Patreon service or charge people for certain episodes. There's never any plans from my point of view to do that. I want to make these available to all York City fans for no charge. But obviously as a charity, we, we do rely on donations. So if people are able to donate, then please do so. That would be really helpful. So the options that we've got are justgiving.com forward slash York Hospital Radio. You can donate literally any amount you want there. Like I've mentioned previously, people have donated £1 before, people have donated £100 before, whatever you can afford. If you're able to contribute, that would be great. And we've also now got a a new text message service that you can uh, donate through. If you text to 70450, 70450 just with a message 5YHB or 10YHB that would donate either £5 or £10 to your hospital radio but YHB stands for your hospital ball which is us the spin-off of your hospital radio so if you're able to do that that would be great and thanks for those people that have done that already based on the Martin Wolford episode so next week we've got Russ Howarth who had a really interesting career I know people might think oh we didn't play that many games for York but uh, trust me it's a real fast fascinating insight into being a footballer and it not quite working out how you planned it at the start go as far as to say it's one of the uh, best episodes i think we've ever done so please tune in for that next week episode three of series six russ howarth